Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're going to be hearing from Sierra, founder of Caged Bird HR. Not only will she be sharing her work story, but she'll be telling us what Black and brown women need to do to protect ourselves at work. Here's Sierra. Yes, my name is Sierra Gross. I'm the founder and CEO of Cagebird HR, which is a full service consulting firm, but we actually help employees navigate corporate America. We help folks navigate anything from, you know, discrimination, harassment, hostile work environment, you know, sudden dips in performance reviews, um, negotiating severance, navigating layoffs. Um, I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. I currently live in Brooklyn, New York. I received my master's in human resources from the University of South Carolina. Then I went on to have, I would say, an accelerated career in human resources. was fortunate enough to never really have to look for a job. I was always recruited by companies. And so I did some time at ExxonMobil and uh, Google. And then I went to the startup space briefly before um, going into business for myself. Nice. So in the beginning, and I I always wonder, do people think about this when they're 18? Do you want to be in HR when you're first thinking about your career? How did you get there? Yeah. So I was actually going to go to law school. Oh, okay. So I graduated um, from my undergraduate program early in 2012, and then I took some time off. And that was when the economy was still, you know, not good from the recession. And so my aunt actually at the time was like, don't go to law school because everybody's going to go to law school. That's what happens when the economy is bad. Everybody goes back to school <laughs> and live off of student loans. Right. And she was like, what that's going to mean, though, is in a few years, the market is going to have a surplus of lawyers and it's going to be hard for you to get a job because most of the jobs will go, you know, to people who went to Ivy League law schools. Okay. So she was like, you should, you know, you should try HR. She was like, I think you'd be good at HR. And I'm like, I'm not really like a people person. Like, <laughs> I mean, I am 
extroverted, but I I would not identify myself as like a people person. She's like, you don't have to be. It's more strategic. And she, she actually got her master's and PhD in HR. Wow. Yeah. So I ended up going to the University of South Carolina. And it's just been a crazy ride from there. I did not have any plans to be to be in <laughs> HR, but you know, it's funny how the universe God works. You always find your way back to your purpose. And so uh, being now in a position where I help people for a living through this HR lens is probably, you know, me doing my life's work. Yeah. It's so funny. We make plans for ourselves and it's just a joke. I'm like, I remember saying like years ago, I was like, I want nothing to do with anything DEI. That is not my journey. I shouldn't have. And I'm like, what am I doing? Anyway, (laughs) right? It's like, we just, it can change so quickly. So tell us a little bit about what navigating that industry has been like for you as a Black woman. You know, I think people think that because I'm in HR, that it would like shield me from a lot of the issues that every other Black person in corporate America experiences, but it hasn't. Right. You know, I've had to deal with the othering and the microaggressions and I'm the daughter of an entrepreneur. So like growing up, we didn't have conversations around you know, how to act at the corporate function or how to navigate, you know, corporate politics. So like trying to figure that out. So a lot of, you know, the thoughts and the way we talk, you know, it was probably more authentically Black growing up. And so having to navigate that in a white space was was hard. But I also, you know, I also learned a lot. And I also have worked with some absolutely brilliant people and have been considered among brilliant minds in in the HR space. And so I would say all in all, before I left the corporate space, my career was probably, you know, indicative of a a normal experience as an African-American in a corporate space, right? I think now that I'm in business for myself and I'm doing work that's more purpose and mission driven, but still through the lens of HR, probably realized that even though I was giving it my best effort to be my full self in the corporate space, I was nowhere close. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, I found a lot of freedom in being an entrepreneur and now I just try to help as many people get to their life's work and their life's purpose and navigate all that comes with being marginalized in corporate America. Yeah. I guess there is this, this misnomer, like you can protect yourself better. I mean, I guess you have the skills and the knowledge to protect yourself better than the average person, but it doesn't absolve incident in the first place. Right. Yeah. So like I was in a position where I was able to get severance and a lot of those things just because I understand the rules of the game. Right. I understand. I understand employment law. I understand how HR works, the risks that they're willing to take and they're not willing to take, how to position myself to turn a bad situation into a situation that benefits me from the HR perspective. And so that's really what I do every day now is I, you know, kind of our three E's is educate, empower, and empathize with people about how can we position this, even though it's a horrible traumatic situation, right? It's already happened. So now how do we navigate this in a way that is going to produce the best kind of outcomes for the employee? So for your own situations, what has been like the most impactful experience for you? Maybe something that eventually led you to open your own business? Yeah. So, you know, I think everybody has their, you know, 2020 through 2021 was between those two years, that was the worst year of somebody's life. Right. Um, 
And for me, it was it was 2021, you know, just because there was a lot of different things going on all at the same time. I had, you know, tore my MCL. I was dealing with some blatant racism, both in and out of the workplace. You know, as a Black woman, I just felt like I'm always fighting for something. Like, I can't just ask for people to do the right thing, right? It's like you always have to turn up the temperature. And just like all those things happening at the same time just really led me to depression to just be straightforward with you. And I mean, that was my first real experience with depression and like, you know, your brain not producing the right chemicals. And so that was just a really hard year. And I remember like just sitting on my couch and being like, if I come out of this, I will never allow anybody to have this type of control over my mental well-being ever again. And by the grace of God, I, you know, I came out of that and I knew I could not go back to to corporate America, right? Now, I don't know about indefinitely, but in the immediate future, I was like, there's no way I can go back to this space that I had determined to be unsafe, right? Especially as I was trying to get my footing back up under me after going through depression for about a year. I was like, you know, even though these situations ended up benefiting me, um, how can I help somebody else? And so I started Cagebird HR January 17th. An hour after launching the website, somebody had booked an appointment. And it was then I knew that people need this kind of service. They need this kind of support. And I just feel very fortunate to be in a position to provide it. That's amazing. An hour after launching. Yeah, it was crazy. It's been crazy ever since. (laughs) Well, you know, good crazy, I hope. A positive crazy for sure. Yeah. So when people come to you... Tell me about those first interactions. Like what what happens? What are they saying? What's the tone of the call or meeting? Yeah. So I think we should first root ourselves in the fact that 99% of my clients are Black women. Okay. And I don't think that's an accident, right? Of course, mm-hmm. I'm Black. So there's an automatic assumption of safety there, right? Mm-hmm. But most of the time, you know, I, I introduce myself and kind of tell them what my responsibilities are to them, right? To be honest, to to share and educate them around the law and what's likely to happen and how HR works. And then I just stopped talking, you know, and people explained to me their situation and how they got to a point where they felt that they needed support. You know, sometimes the tone, you know how talking between Black women is, it's like, you know, one minute we're period and the next, there's a lot of emotions involved, right? Because Mm -hmm. every time people have to explain these stories, they're reliving it, right? Right. And so I hold a lot of space for that and a lot of space to just allow people to release because they don't feel that they can release in this way to their company's HR person. And so Mm. I hold a lot of space for people to be able to just get it out um, in hopes that I am, you know, reducing anxiety and stress for these people just by giving them a place to share. And then once, you know, I kind of have an understanding of how we got here, I'll ask some questions just to root myself as to where they are relative to the law, right? Because if you're over 40, there are laws that protect you. Obviously, if you are a minority, there are laws that protect you. If you're pregnant, there are laws that protect you if you are part of the LGBT community. So I just ask a lot of questions just to make sure that I understand the full picture. And then I ask, what do, what do they want? And this is kind of like a pivotal point in the conversation for a lot of my clients because they've never been asked that. They've never even considered the fact that they do have options and they do have a choice and they have more power in this situation than they think. 
And so because I've never been asked that question, I kind of give them a list of things that I've seen happen in situations like the ones that they're in. Um, and then they decide either they, you know, sometimes they want to leave a company or they want to stay and, you know, try to get severance or they want to stay and try to move to another part of the business. Whatever they want is how we then strategize on, okay, how can we make this happen and allow you to meet your goals at the same time, right? Because sometimes people, they don't care. They want to turn the temperature all the way up. <laughs> and other times people want to leave, but they want to leave with relationships intact, right? And and those two outcomes require a different strategy, different tone in email communications to HR to kind of try to get what we want at the end of the day. I would imagine a lot of people come to you and don't really know what they want. They just know they need to do something. Correct. A lot of the times people's situation is presented to me as something that has happened to them and, and they just have to accept it, right? Mm. It's like, this has happened to me. I don't know what to do about it. What can I do about it? And so a part of what we do is educating people on what I've seen happen in similar situations, right? Here are all the options that I know to be true that a company could do, right? While also rooting them in the fact that they might do nothing. <laughs> we could go through all of this and write all these emails to HR and turn the temperature up and they still could do nothing. And we have to plan for that too. Yeah. It sounds like you are a therapist mixed with a lawyer. <laughs> like you kind of did become a lawyer, right? <laughs> I mean, no, I am not an attorney. However, as a function of being in HR, I do have to be well-versed in employment law mm. um, at the state and federal levels. And then with that empathy, the therapist, psychiatrist part comes on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I can empathize with a lot of these people because I've been through the same thing. Some of my clients have been called monkeys. Some of my clients have been called the N-word. I have a client that called me from a hospital bed one time because she had just had a panic attack due to some racist stuff um, that someone was doing, you know, at work. And so, of course, there is a requirement to listen and to empathize. And probably similarly to a way that a therapist would, I would agree with you. But I mean, I feel like it's a part of the job and being able to listen to these stories and then move them to a place of action and speaking up for themselves and advocating for themselves in the workplace. It's really just a unique thing to be a part of. Yeah. Do you feel like if more people went through these formal steps of reporting what was happening to them and taking it where it needed to go, do you think it would change the work culture itself in general as we see more complaints and cases? Or is it, I don't know, more individualized? Like this is going to make you feel better, make your life better, maybe not the bigger picture. No, I do think that if more people report things to HR, we would start to see some change. And the reason I say that is because 99% of my clients have not gone to HR by the time they've come to me, right? They come mm -hmm. to me before they even interact with HR. And a lot of them, if they didn't know that Cagebird HR existed, they would have just let it go, mm. right? And when we do that, our stories and experiences, they go undocumented, right? It's almost like they never happened. Not almost like, it is like they didn't happen. Right. And so when I have clients that come to me and, you know, they tell me all these things and then I ask, well, have you reported it to HR? And they say, no, I didn't. In my mind, it's like, okay, now we have to start from the beginning and get all of this written down and documented somewhere because, if this person were to try to get accountability, let's say through severance, or they wanted to sue this organization, all the company is going to do is say, well, you know, you signed a handbook that said, if you are experiencing these things that you reported to HR, for whatever reason, you decided not to do that. And so how can we solve a problem 
that we don't know about, right? That's all they're going to say. And so by not engaging with the process as defined and intended, we're basically giving these companies an out, right? But when we start writing things down, and that's why I tell all my clients, if you're going to go to HR, put it in writing first. Mm -hmm. When we start creating documents and paper trails, because if you were to sue a company, all of this would be discoverable, right? All of it. Or even if you ask for severance, right, your lawyer would use that to help your case. And when you're asking for severance, so when we start writing things down and documenting our experiences, like these companies don't have anywhere to hide. They don't have anywhere to hide. There's no more excuses. So I encourage everybody. No, HR is not your friend. A hundred percent. Where when I was in corporate HR, my job was to mitigate risk for the company at all costs. Company, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's just what it is. And people can say all this and you know try to make you feel warm and fuzzy about it. But one thing about Casebird HR, we always call a spade a spade because there's enough fluff and nonsense and static going on in corporate America. And so, no, HR is not your friend, nor will they probably ever be your friend as a function. Right. But we still have to engage with the function and the processes as defined so that we can give them an opportunity to do nothing. Right. Because under the law, your company has to protect you from discrimination, harassment, hostile work environment. Mm-hmm. They have to. It's not even a question. <laughs> it's it's a clear law. Title seven. Right. And so when we go to HR, we say, hey, I am experiencing this. And then they don't take what we call an adverse employment action to protect you from that. It's actually better for you because now you or your lawyer can down the road make the argument that, hey, look, we did everything that we were supposed to do. We experienced this. She went to HR. You did an investigation. You did nothing. Then it happened again. She went to HR again, did another investigation. It did nothing. Then she did this and she reported to HR and you again did nothing. Then the conversation becomes more substantive as, as far as how much money are you going to pay me to leave? Mm-hmm. Because before that, it's kind of just like, oh, six months ago, this happened to me, but I didn't report it. Right. I guess my first thought was, how do you trust HR that they're documenting things correctly? So when it is time to open the vault, that the right things are there. <laughs> right. And that's why I say we have to put our narrative in writing, right? Because mm-hmm. HR is never going to do that. I mean, when I was in HR, our notes were so vague by design <laughs> because right. they're discoverable. Mm-hmm. So that's why I tell my clients, you don't ever want HR to be the narrator of your story. You want to tell your own story. And so if you feel like you want to go to HR, you need to write an email. Hi, HR, this has happened to me on this date. This is who saw it. This is where it happened. And can we schedule a call to talk about it? That's Mm -hmm. how you engage with HR for the first time. Don't go scheduling a meeting first. Write it down and then email it to them. Because HR is never going to write it back to you, right? Even if you go through an investigation and the investigation is over and they tell you the outcome. They're not going to write those down and email them to you. Right. They're going to get you on a Zoom call. you got to start your own paper trip. Yeah, they're going to start get, her and get you on a Zoom call and say, um, this is what we thought. This is what happened. There's no policy violation. Thank you so much. Goodbye. So it's, it's so critical to, to be the author of your own story and write things down. Let's say something just happened to someone. Let's say it's like offense number one. Mm-hmm. It's, it is okay for them to come to you first if they want to know how to behave with HR, what they should say, you know, get guidance even in those beginning steps. And then you're there 
to see that out, right? Yeah. So a lot of the times clients come to me because they don't they don't have the words, right? Because I deal with mm-hmm. mostly marginalized people. We have our own kind of ebonics or slang or yeah. ways that we're used to handling what we consider to be disrespect, right? Mm-hmm. Myself included, because like I'm from the hood. Like so the way that I would address something like on the street is not the way I can address something in corporate America. And I've had to over time learn how to use my words and express myself in a way that doesn't make others by others I mean white people feel unsafe Mm -hmm. right because as African Americans marginalized people there's an unspoken responsibility to make white people feel safe at all times right Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like that's why I get a lot of stories about you know when black women are just like not talkative or are not you know funny or whatever like now they're having conversations with their managers about like oh you've been off lately you've been you know a little to yourself and it's like dang if we ain't shucking and jiving it's a problem right (laughs) Because white people don't feel safe, right? Right. I didn't know I worked at a musical. I thought I was supposed to like actually get the work done. Right. And so a lot of times people just don't have the words. And so they come to me and they say, hey, look, this is my situation. I want to go to HR. I don't want to you know, turn the temperature all the way up. I still want to maintain relationships as much as humanly possible. But I do want to encapsulate what has happened to me and the expectation that something be done about it. And I help people write emails. Um, they'll draft something and send it to me and I will edit it and send it back to them. And then they'll just keep us up to date on like how it's going. And it Mm -hmm. it varies by situation, right? I've written emails for people and, you know, that one email changed everything. You know, Mm -hmm. now they got a new job, a promotion or this or that. Mm -hmm. And I've written emails for people and it changed nothing. Right. And so there's a lot of factors that go into it. It depends on the company probably first and foremost, depends on their manager, but we help at all stages in the process. I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you like, realistically, even if you barely turn up the heat, doesn't it change everything forever? I mean, just because people are so easily threatened, just bringing up a conversation, even having a hard conversation with a superior is, I mean, how does that not change the relationship forever? It always feels so dicey like that. And I would agree with that. Like I I tell my clients, everything we're about to do comes at a cost Mm -hmm. because you can't just ask for what you want. Because if you could, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. So <laughs> there's a cost. Right. But a lot of the costs we've already assumed. Right. Because people are always going to think I'm angry when I'm not. They, people mm-hmm. are always going to feel threatened by the fact that I would show up and just outperform people without really trying, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're always going to be stereotypes that we are going to be subjected to because of the color of our skin or how we identify, right? So if we're already being subjected to that, then let's just account for that and move forward. Because yeah. doing nothing is not a great option. It is a option, but doing nothing also comes at a cost. And a lot of the time, it's people's mental health. Right. So So what are your top tips for us in terms of protecting ourselves at work? So my first and foremost tip for everybody is write things down. Now, I know that there's a fine line between always going to HR and addressing things, right? So Mm. I have a three-step process that I tell all my clients that they should utilize the first time that somebody does something crazy to you, just write it down. You don't necessarily have to address it the first time unless it's something overt, right? But a lot of the times the first instance is like microaggressions or like a, you know, a comment that's just like, are you trying to be racist? But you don't really have enough there. So just go write it down, right? And I think this is a way to give grace, right? To people because 
because we're all, you know, trying to figure it out. And so this way you don't like just jump the gun, right? And put yourself out there without having a lot of context. Now, the second time some the same person does something to you, then I, I address it with that person. And I usually okay. address it in writing, followed up with a phone call. Okay. Hey, X, Y, Z. On this date, you made this comment. And on this date, this happened. I want to have a great working relationship with you. Do you mind if we just hop on a call just to get to know each other and reset expectations on how we interact or something to that effect? And that does two things. One, now you have a record, an email of what happened and the trauma that was inflicted by this specific person, right? In order for something to rise to the level of harassment, the person will have had to know that you didn't like the behavior and asked to stop the behavior. So that's why I say you should write it down and then have a conversation with them because it proves awareness on that person's behalf that they have been displaying behaviors that are not okay. And then if the person does something again for the third time, then I go to HR. Because at that point, you've pretty much exhausted all of your responsibilities. And I'm saying responsibilities because we're talking about something that's not overt, right? If somebody calls you an N-word, you just skip every step and go right there. Right. But right. if somebody asks you, you know, to touch your hair or, you know, makes a comment about, I don't know, you know, little kids in Africa being hungry, right? That's probably a situation where you can follow steps one and two. Right. The second thing that we can do to protect ourselves in corporate America is reclaim our identities. And Ooh. I say that because <laughs> I know like that was a that was a big statement. That was a big statement. So let me just break that down and explain what I mean. Okay. So I especially now have a lot of clients that are calling me asking about severance because they've been laid off, right? The economy is not doing great and a lot of companies are laying people off. The sheer devastation that I see in people's faces on these Zoom calls because their identity had been consumed by this company, right? And I and I explain in a reel on our Instagram that as marginalized people, this is really hard not to do. It's hard not to allow your identity to be consumed by these companies mm-hmm. because if you're the first, right, one, you're making a lot of money. Now all your family is proud. Now they're telling everybody at the church. <laughs> and so to disconnect from that, it has impacts that go beyond you, right? Because yeah. now you got to tell your mama. And now she got to go tell everybody at the church that you quit. It's like a family report sent out. You're like, great. Right. It's like, a, it's like a family report. It's like now there's a lot of pressure that will come from even your family side of the situation. Add on the fact that they create these environments where you can be at this place all day. You be at work all day, nine to five. You eat meals three times a day. You can work out. You can get your clothes dry clean. You can go to the doctor. You can go to the dentist. You can get a massage. Everything you need is here. It's in the building. Right. It's so so crazy. Who, who, who are you even outside of work? Right. And then we get this reminder be a being fired or laid off that these people didn't care about you. As someone who has executed layoffs in the past, I can promise you that when it comes time to make these decisions, we're looking at partners, personnel numbers. We ain't looking at names. There's too many people. <laughs> There's too many people to get names. Too many people to go through, oh, this person just yeah. had a baby. Maybe we should not. Or this person, you know, is going through this health situation. Maybe we shouldn't, you know, cut their insurance off. You know, they we don't we don't talk at that level. And so <laughs> I think we have to reclaim who we are as people and not give these companies that are subject to the same, you know, institutional racism as every other piece of society that much power over us. Because when and if, and God forbid, you know, they lay us off, 
it can be devastating. And so protect yourself by really understanding who you are and that you have value and purpose outside of what you do for a living. And so that way, when things happen to you, we can be less shaken by the craziness that's going on in this environment and immediately start to advocate for ourselves. So those are the two things that I would say. Question for you though. So these, a lot of these big tech companies, they are creating the environments you described where you can get everything done in that building or on that campus. Um, do you think they're doing that by design? Do they want your whole life to be that company and that job? Absolutely. Facebook's whole business model, take, take employees out of it. Their business model is to keep you on their app for as long as humanly possible. Because the longer you're on the app, the more ads they can put in front of you and the more money they can make. And so if that has proven to be a successful business model, why wouldn't it work for their employees? First of all, just by you being there longer, you're working longer. And what's even crazier is people then start to build personal brands off of the fact that they are a Googler. Right. So then the issue right. compounds itself because now you can't detach from the fact that you're a Googler. You're doing speaking engagements. You're doing, you know, you're writing articles, you know, on what's it like to work at this company and that company. And so if that's taken away from you, then what's left? And mm -hmm. so we have to begin to remind ourselves that and put everything into perspective. Because I think, you know, now that we're coming out of COVID, you know, COVID was a very introspective time for a lot of people. We put a lot of things in perspective. You know, we focus on who we are and our family, et cetera, et cetera. But I kind of feel like now that we're almost post-COVID, that we're going back to that pre-COVID idea of how work should be and what it should play in our lives, right? And so my advice to everybody would just be to put it in perspective. This is a job. They give you a check. It's exchange of goods and services for money. That's and if you got hit by a bus today, they replace you tomorrow. Exactly. It reminds me of like the Maxine Waters, like reclaiming my time. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's so easy to drink the Kool-Aid. Trust me, yeah. I've done it. I've done it. Everybody likes to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. To be a part of something that is bigger than you, I think is critical to the human experience, right? But you can be a part of something and not let it become who you are, right? Google is going to Google regardless of whether you're doing this work or not. And all these right. companies, right? They're going to exist without you. When you go on vacation, the yeah. whole company don't shut down, does it? No. Right. <laughs> so just just keep life in perspective. Wow. So tell people how they can get in touch with you because I have a feeling some people listening need you. <laughs> yes. Um, so you can book an appointment on cagebirdhr.com. That's www.cagebirdhr.com. All of our social media handles are cagebirdhr. We're most active on Instagram and we're about to start being active again on TikTok. We're almost at 10,000 followers on Instagram in nine months. And so we are... Super excited about that. About to hire somebody to make more appointment time available to those who need support. And then, of course, we also do like small business consulting as well, helping companies create inclusive, anti-racist, compliant environments for employees. And so any one of those, uh, my personal Instagram is I am Sierra Faith. If anybody's interested in, in the life and times of, of Sierra. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's how you can can reach out and book an appointment. Amazing. I, I'm also assuming the name Cage Bird is the uh, Maya Angelou homage. <laughs> it is. It is. And if you, you notice that although the name of the company is Cage Bird, the logo is an empty bird cage and that speaks to the fact that, um, you know, I truly believe this is life saving work. It's world changing work. 
I feel like every time I get to educate and empower somebody to advocate for themselves, I'm literally changing the world. Mm. And so there's no there's no bird in the cage because we feel like we are helping to free people. And so that's where that comes from. Yeah. Happy to to help. And like I said, if anybody needs support, you know, we are more than happy to support you through your situation. And Joy, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Educating, empowering, and empathizing. Thank you, Sierra, for all of your great advice. Make sure you guys reach out to her if you need help navigating an issue in your workplace. The key to so many of the things we talk about here is asking for help. Challenge yourself to do that this week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com